This is tape 16 of the series, The Destination of Faith, Heaven by Dr. Joel Hunter. What heaven has to do with Monday morning is the subject of this message. Dr. Hunter's scripture text is Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, and from the New International Version, it reads as follows. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And now, let's join in for praise and worship, followed by message number 16, what heaven has to do with Monday morning. In this series, The Destination of Faith, Heaven. Well, as Vernon told you, this is the last in a series of uh, a four-month series on heaven, actually. And what we would love to do today is to erase that very distinct line that most people have that comes between heaven and earth. When Christ taught us to pray in Matthew 6.10, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He was erasing a distinction. He was erasing a line. Most people carry around that distinction, that line, that tremendous difference, they believe, in their head. There certainly is a difference between heaven and earth. This will never be heaven, as you have well experienced But there's not as much of a difference if you are in Christ as you believe. There is a mere 24 hours between Sunday morning and Monday morning. Yet people see those as very different days in the calendar. I want to tell you there's not as much difference as you would believe. God is just as much Lord of Monday morning as He is Sunday morning. He wants just as much worship Monday morning as He does Sunday morning. And in order to do that, we have to understand that God Himself is among us. God Himself is present. God Himself is visible to the spiritual eye. We must understand that preoccupation with heaven doesn't make you less effective on earth. It makes you more effective on earth. I've heard many reasons for people not thinking about heaven, just concentrating on earth right now, and then when it's time to go to heaven, they'll think about heaven. I've heard people say that, well, heaven is an escapist thing, you know? Uh, People dream about heaven, people think about heaven when they can't cope with earth. And so, therefore, the reason heaven is even out there is because somebody made made it up to, to give us relief to help us feel better. Well, I want to say to you, we don't think about things in order to make us feel better. The reason we concentrate on anything, or at least the reason we ought to concentrate on anything, is because it's true. If it's not true, we ought to avoid it altogether. But I also want to say to you that just because something provides a sense of relief and a sense of, of um, wonder doesn't mean it's not true. You could go in the Second World War to a concentration camp and say, you know, there's a tunnel under this place that will lead you out of here. That certainly would have been an escapist statement. It might also have been a true statement. Heaven, if it's true, had better be what we concentrate on because it's where we're going to be spending most of our lives and because that concentration, as I will soon show you, will make us more effective and more potent down here. First of all, I want you to know that that part about spending most of our lives there is the very is a very, very important part. It's so 
necessary for us to um, understand that this, this place into which we will be born is our destiny. We have this little mentality that, okay, we, we, we'll live this life here on earth, and we build from the past to the future, and then, boom, we get in the future, and here we are. As we have seen from the beginning of the series, heaven is so much our destination, it is the future that pulls us into itself. It is the future that molds us in our world today. It is heaven that is making much of earth for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so, therefore, heaven is both now and not yet. It's not escapist to think about what you're being made into. It's not escapist to think about that life for which you were destined. Would it be an escapist mentality for a fetus, fetus to dream about being born? No, no. And would that prospect of a fetus being born make that mother take less care of that fetus in utero? Would she pay less attention to the prenatal care of that child? No, she would pay more. And so we're going to be born into eternal life. Knowing that we're going to be born into eternal life, knowing that we are made for that right now, does that make this womb that we live in any less important? And the care of this womb? No, no, no. C.S. Lewis once wrote, All that seems earth is but heaven or hell. And what he meant by that was the materials with which we are being formed today, the experiences, the thoughts, will carry with us into the afterlife. And so therefore, really the prospect isn't, is earth real? Or is heaven real? The prospect is both of them are real. Heaven's just going to last a lot longer. Now, let me talk to you about the ability that that thought gives you. The ability of the thought that you are already citizens of heaven. And by the way, if you want a scriptural statement for that, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 says this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 says you are already, if if you have Jesus Christ in your heart, you are already a citizen of heaven. That is your identity. That is who you are being made into. That is your destiny. And so therefore, it says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. You understand, some of those saints are dead. We're both counted in the same company. Another verse is Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Look at the verb tense on this one. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Look at what it says. If then you have been raised up with Christ. You have been raised up with Christ. Keep seeking the things above. Should we concentrate on heaven? It says here we should. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. You know what this says? It says you're already spiritually placed there. You've been raised with Christ already. It's just a little, you're, you're in a little lobby here. You're in a little, this is a little vestibule waiting room, you know. And we have certain responsibilities down here. But I want you to remember, that's where you live. That's who you are. That's who you're being made into. 
Well, what does that mean for down here? I'll tell you what it means. It means that the most terrifying things that would stop you from absolute power and potency down here on earth no longer hold a candle over you. What are three things? What are, what are the three things that really, really stop Christians from being effective? I believe one of them is fear of failure. Most people either don't try something because they are afraid of failing or get right in the middle of something for the Lord and chicken out and then crash because they say, oh, I can't do this. Let me remind you that when you are in Christ, it's not you who are doing it. It's Christ who is doing it. It does not, it does not depend on your ability. It depends on His ability and His will God himself will bring it to pass. It says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 24. I have verse 25 in your sermon outlines. That's, that's uh, uh, wrong. Verse 24. It says, Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. Now let me tell you something. If you're trying to accomplish something in the book, if it's in here in black and white, and you're saying, I just can't do that. You're not really saying you can't do it. You're saying God can't do it. Watch your mouth. (laughs) Yes, He can. It says right here, He will bring it to pass. And so whatever you're involved in that's named in the book, that is an accomplishment of ministry for Christ, a building of the kingdom down here in the world, He's the one that's bringing it to pass. So you know what that means? That means you can dive in with reckless abandon. If, perchance, you fail, it's because you read the book wrong. Or you had, a, you had a wrong impression. But listen, that won't be your failure then. It'll just be God saying, no, that's not what I meant. But don't stop in the middle of it saying, oh, I don't know if I ought to be doing this or not. I don't know if I've got enough left to finish this. Listen, God's got enough. God's the resource. You know, the most pain I ever had in my life when I was jumping off the high board at the Seltzer Park Pool in Shelby, Ohio, was the first time I tried a backflip and decided in the middle of it, I didn't want to carry through. <laughs> Not a good idea. Not a good idea. Either don't try it or carry through with it. Don't chicken out in the middle of it. You understand? So, God takes away that fear of failure. God will accomplish it. If it's His will, God will accomplish it. Don't worry about you accomplishing it at all. Just go for it. Second, He takes away a fear of loss. The fear of loss. Listen, if you're going to be living forever in heaven, if you have been already bestowed, if you are an inheritor, if you are co-heirs with Christ eternal, that's what the book says, then you have all of the riches of heaven. Most people operate in this world, and most of their uh, life, they worry about losing something very significant. Now, I don't know what your worry is. Some of you worry about, I'm going to have my my marriage taken away from me, or I'm going to have my... um, my children will die, or I'm going to have uh, uh, my business fail, or I'm going to have my I'm going to lose my house. I'm going to, whatever you, I'm going to lose my health. You know, there's great anxiety. There's there's not only a performance anxiety, there is loss anxiety, and you worry about that. Let me let me give you a little perspective here that you know is right. You already know this. I'm just reminding you of it. Your time on this earth is a little of your life. Very important speck. God gave you the speck. We don't discount the speck. But it's a little speck. And what strikes such great fear into your life right now? 
even if it came about, you could count on two things. First of all, you could count on the fact that God would use it for your greater good. Romans 8, 28 stands. I can't, I say, I'm going to say that to you every Sunday until you start believing it. All things work together to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. There isn't, listen, the most damage the devil can do in your life is be an unwilling contributor to God's greatest good for you. That's the most damage he can do. There's this, this is not an even competition. God's already won the deal. So don't be afraid of this loss. And even if a loss happens, you say, well, that, that may be good. That may be fine. I don't want to experience that greater good, though. I, I, I don't want to go through that hurt emotionally. Listen to this. You need to be reminded of this. Because some of you are in great pain right now. In an instant, from a heavenly perspective, what you're going through right now, because you are the inheritor of all of the riches of heaven, will amount to about what a billionaire getting a penny scratched would seem like. That's about how much pain you're going to look back on. It won't matter. You know why? Because you'll see all of the good that God works out of it. So hang in there. God's healing of evil is time. Time. Hang in there. Don't give up. Another thing that holds you back is, is being concerned about insignificance. I hear so many of you say, well, I wish I could do something significant for God. I, I wish I could, you know, drop everything and go into the ministry. That's what I ought to do. Be a missionary. Go save the heathen. Well, I, I'm sure that everybody wants to be significant. But, but watch this. If the kingdom of God is here in your heart, if heaven gets into earth through your behavior, if everything you are is what Christ is making you, what is more significant than that? I hear people say, you know, I, I just ought to, you know, stop being a mechanic and start being a minister. Listen, you are a minister if you're a mechanic. Erase the line between heaven and earth. Erase the line between Sunday and Monday morning. Erase the line between what you think is high church and low worldly employment. The Bible says that God makes some vessels for for. Uh, you know, every once in a while, honorable use, and some vessels for plain use, but all vessels are important. All have equal importance. You have a ministry. You are significant to God. You know what? The, the, you mothers who have to get up in the middle of the night and throw an old house coat because you've got some baby bending over that old porcelain altar there. He's sick as a dog, you know, and you're in a hole in his head and you're. You're rubbing his back. You know what? To God, that old house coat looks strangely like a clerical robe. They are very similar. That ministry is so profound, so sacred. You vendors of peanut butter and jelly, when you, when you cut up those little quarter sandwiches, 
That's not so very different to God than distributing the host in the communion. There is a holy element to that. There is a sacredness of ministry to that. You coaches of little league teams that just want to hang with those kids and encourage them, maybe speak a good word for Jesus every once in a while. You sweating like a dog and smelling like old fish. (laughs) You know, to God, that odor is strangely reminiscent of the incense in the highest church service. He, He really can't tell much of a difference. It's all consecrated. Do you understand? Everything you do is important to God. Everything you are is building the kingdom. I heard a story about King Henry of uh, Bavaria. True story. He was brought up in the courts in lavish royalty. But he had a heart for God. He, for Somewhere along the line, he just fell in love with God. And he wanted to serve Christ and nothing else. And so he abdicated. He, he, went, to, he went to the abbey. And, and he talked to the head of the abbey, the prior. And his name was Richard not Richard Pryor, Pryor Richard. <laughs> Pryor Richard. He looked at him looked at him and says, I, I want to give it all up. I, I don't want those things. I, I just want to serve Christ. And for an hour or two hours, Richard spieled the, the absolute utter sacrifice he would have to make. Do you realize you can't own any worldly riches? Do you realize you... Uh, have to totally obey? Do you realize you can't have pride? Do you realize you have to give up every all the rights you ever had in order to be totally consecrated to God? And the more the prior talked, the more hungry Henry got for it. At the end of it, the prior looked at him and said, Are you absolutely dedicated to absolute obedience to Christ no matter what? And Henry said, yes, yes, that's what I want. And the prior said, well, then go back and be king. That's where God had you in the first place. And it was said of Henry that he learned to govern by learning to obey. Everything you do is important to God. Learn to do it well by learning to obey. It's worldliness that's wrong, not the world. The world is part of God's ministry down here. It's part of His call. And the part that you're in is every bit as important to Him as any state dinner that goes on in any national capital in this world. Don't fear significance, insignificance. It is never a part of a Christian's life. Everything you do is ministry. Well, one one more thing. Not only are we more effective in this world by realizing that we're already given the victory. We just live according to the victory. Everything we do can be rejoicing because God's going to win. So relax. But, here's the other thing. God wants us to see Him in everything. Do you know what we're going to be doing in heaven? We're going to be beholding God. That's going to be about the extent of the day. You know, we're not going to get up and have go, well, what am I going to do today? You know, You're, did you ever have a friend that you love so much 
that when that friend called and they said, what do you want to do today? Your response was, anything you want to do. I just want to be with you. So you name it, we're there. We're doing it. That's what you're going to be like in heaven. God's going to, what do you want? I, any, whatever. I'm with you. I just want to be with you. See? And so, that's the way it ought to be down here. There's no division there. You get up every day. Of course, you've got your schedule, but you keep looking for God. God, what are you going to do? I just want to be with you. I, I just want to do what you're doing. Whatever it is, that's what I want to do. You're always looking for God. Most people are raised in this world to think of themselves to define their role. Management by objective, you know? Think of what, you know, the church is going through this right now. And some of it's good. Some of it's good. But some of it's so self-centered, you know? Name all your gifts. Name what you do. You know, and get, get this job description, you know? And everybody means well by that, but it ends up where you're concentrating on yourself continually. That's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be looking to Christ. Looking for God in every situation. I, I, there's a parable that I love. I heard it a long time ago. Jim, this may even go back to Mount Auburn days. You may, you may remember this. Um, it's about this guy named Ronald, and he had this strange affliction. This is just a parable, not a true story. This, he had this strange affliction. He was born with all normal capabilities except for one. He couldn't see himself in a mirror. You know, like those old vampire movies, you know, that's how you tell a vampire. Well, anyhow... He, he, he couldn't see himself in a mirror. And, and it was driving him crazy. What would it be like never knowing what you looked like? You knew what everybody else looked like, but you couldn't know what you looked like. So every day he got up and he, he kept looking in different mirrors. He thought if he could just find the right mirror, he could see himself. And so he went from mirror to mirror all over the house, you know. And he'd go out and he'd look from mirrors. He'd go into the stores and back into the bedroom furniture and look at the mirrors and bathroom, look in the mirror, you know. Always looking for himself, driving himself crazy. Totally preoccupied with trying to see himself. Well, he got invited to a party one time. And so he just, you know, he thought, you know, I really need to get out. <laughs> need to go make some friends. And, and so he went to the party. But the first thing he did when he got to the door is run to the hall and, and look in the hall mirror, looking for himself. Couldn't see himself. He turned to walk down the hall to see if he could see himself in the bathroom mirror. And, and there was a, a girl. Her name was Janet. And she just met him, you know, and said, Hi, my name's Janet. What's yours? Well, it's, it's Ronald. And he's looking for the bathroom. You know? And she says, Well, tell me about yourself. Well, okay. So he starts talking with her. She keeps asking about himself. And, well, you know, he starts getting interested in her. Such a winsome, selfless girl. And he starts asking about her. And so they're standing there. They talk for 45 minutes. And he's in the middle of one sentence. And he just stops. And he says, well, I'll be. She looks at him and she says, what? He says, I can see myself in your eyes. She said, well, I'll be. That's how it is with God. Quit looking for yourself all over the place. Look for God. You find God, you'll see yourself. As you really are. Now, all this takes is some training. The only reason we don't see Him all over the place is because we don't think to look for Him all over the, over the place. But that's exactly where He is. You, you, you remember your little kids at the baby stage? I don't remember a lot about kids at baby stage. I'm not a baby person. 
But I, but I, so I've repressed most of that stuff. But, but one thing I do remember is holding up my sons at, at I, and I don't know how old they were. I don't, you, you baby development people would be able to tell this better than I. But they're very young, you know. Their neck doesn't work yet, you know. They're, they're not, they're not focused on anything, you know. They just kind of focus on everything, you know. And you're trying to, you're trying to get their attention, you know. You're holding, hi, I'm your dad. Hi, you know, and it, you know, and every once in a while they'll spot something on you, you know, like your nose. You know, they go for go for the nose, you know, or the ear, or whatever, you know. But but just every once in a while, out of nowhere, they'll notice that you're a face and a person, and they'll go like that, you know. Just there's a person there. That's what to look for in the world. Look for God. You know, we're going like this, looking at all the details, trying to get grabbing for the, you know, and all the while God's right there saying, "Look here, I'm your dad. I'm your dad. I'm your dad." Okay? Look for him. He's right there. And let me tell you what happens when you start seeing him in every situation, in every person, in every opportunity. Let me tell you what happens. Your life turns, I'll end with this, your life turns and you start operating according to heaven's standard time. <laughs> you, you understand He's there. You relax. You understand He's working it all out. You relax. You start working according to the Spirit and you accomplish a hundred times more than you ever would just looking for some details to grab. Let me tell you one story real quick. It's about a sailor. And uh, I think this is a true story. I've read it a long time ago. But a uh, sailor who was uh, who put into port at uh, in some Italian town. Um, and he, he, they, he was going uh, uh, on uh, shore with a buddy. And his buddy asked him what time it was. And he pulled out this watch. And he opened it up and it said 7.30. And his buddy just started laughing and said, your watch broke. And he said, oh, no. He said, it didn't. He said, I realize it's, it's not uh, this time over here. But this watch is set on mountain standard time. And, and his buddy said, what? And he said, yeah, I live in uh, southern Utah. And when uh, I got called into the service, uh, my dad um, gave me this watch. And he said, son, I'm going to give you a watch, but I'm going to set it for our home time. Because anywhere you go in the world, you can find out a time. There's plenty of clocks all around. But here's what I want for you. I want every time you pull out this watch to open it up. And I want you to think of your family. I want you to think of what we're doing. And so the guy explained to his buddy, you know, I know every time I open this watch, you know, it's at 5 o'clock in the morning over there. I, I know they're getting up to milk the cows. And I know at 7 o'clock they're having breakfast. And at 7.30 they're praying for me. I know what my whole day, what's happening all during my day at home. That's what God wants to give you. He wants to give you heaven standard time on your watch in here so that we operate in accordance with what's happening at home so that His kingdom come, His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray with me. God, show us how we can pay better attention to you. Better than that, 
Just show us yourself. Help us to keep looking for you, Lord Jesus. Help us to to see your face in every circumstance, to see your hand in every turn of events. Help us not to have this sharp dividing line between heavenly things and the things on earth. Make us not worldly in that we only concentrate on the earth, but, as T.S. Eliot said, help us to care and not to care. Help us to care enough to contribute what we have, but let it go because we know the ultimate reality is the one you're building that will last forever. So, Lord, we pray that you will give us that capability. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
dismiss. Let me ask the prayer team to come forward and invite any of you who would like to pray uh, to, to utilize your church family in this way. There are some of you who don't know if you'll be going to heaven after you die. You're not sure of that. Let them pray with you so that you can be sure of that. And let me say to you that what I have been talking about today is absolutely impossible unless you have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You can't see heavenly things with natural eyes. It says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, verse 14, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. And so unless God gives you that vision, because he's living in your heart, you just can't see him. And so, um, please, if you have not given your life to Christ, um, do that today. Some of you also are already Christians, but boy, you're having a tough time seeing God, where God's at in your present circumstances. And you just want another Christian to pray with you. And, uh, and so, let them do that. They will pray for your healing. They will pray for your insight. Now, I'm going to do something today. Um, I'm going to give a benediction, but I'm going to give it from the back of the sanctuary for two reasons. First of all, this is the way my old preacher did it, Dr. Shoemaker. I can remember every Sunday coming down this center aisle, and so I just want to kind of do what Dr. Shoemaker did. Um, The second thing is, um, since this is about seeing God in the world, I'd kind of like just to give this uh, while I'm closer to an exit than to the altar. This comes from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore... Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Go out running in the power of Christ. Amen.